welcome. Glad that you're here this weekend. Uh, on the way in, they give you the notes, and if you want to grab those real quick while you do that, let me do a, a couple of quick housekeeping items. First, welcome all of our campuses into our service. Uh, obviously, Lone Tree, but Highlands Ranch and Castle Rock, our folks down at uh, Lakewood, those that are live streaming us right now, and uh, even post-production people. That will be those that in the next couple of weeks uh, will either get uh, maybe a download of this message or go to our website, or maybe they end up with a CD or a DVD. However, you're a part of the greater JFC family. We're glad that you are. We want to welcome you uh, all here. We're in a series called, Is It Possible? It's a series about hope. And, uh, you know, this week I was thinking all the things in life that bring hope. Uh, a weekend ago, right now, I had so much hope. Did, so many of you are like amnesia. You pushed it out of your minds, haven't you? You're like, what happened a week ago? Anybody else have a hangover like yeah. Monday? It was just like a terrible... Do you guys watch the game? Are you, are you still in shock? I, come on. I, listen, I, I had a... I, I'm teasing on that one. I had a great one. My, my oldest granddaughter called me last night. And uh, uh, she, she, she actually left the message. I didn't get it at the time. And I called her back and uh, uh, threw her mom's phone. And I said, hey, Ames, I need, to, I need to talk to Isabel. So she gets on the phone. She goes, uh, Papa, are we going on vacation this year? And I said, well, we're, you know, we're, we're planning on it. In the summertime, we do kind of a family thing. I said, we're planning on it. She goes, no, how about for spring break? And I said, well, hon, I, I'm, I'm not sure. We usually, you know. She goes, well, maybe we could just get a couple of hotel rooms and you and I can go swimming all weekend long. And so um, I got off the phone with her, and I thought, you know, there are just things that God puts in our lives that give us such joy, and it brings such hope to us. And they're not always, like, huge things. They're just small things that God gives to us. As I'm writing the message for this weekend, we're going to talk about marriage. And I realize, as I say that, not everybody in this room, uh, does that affect directly? Not all of you are married. Uh, not all of you will this message be like, wow, that one just really is right in my, in my wheelhouse. But I will say this. When I wrote this message, one of the things that God can use to bring great hope to us uh, is relationships in our life. And, and what I'm going to do in this message, even though it will uh, talk in particular about marriage, as I was writing it, my, my first reaction was to write, you know, when I study, I save things all year long, things that I'll clip out of a newspaper or a book or something that, I, that I've picked up from another message or something like that, and I save them in files, and then when I go back to teach, I'll pull them out. So I started, when I wrote this message, to pull out of my file all the different things that I learned about marriage in this last year. And as I began to write them, I thought, wow, this is a bunch of new stuff, and it's really neat. As I got into it, though, one of the things that the Lord just really impressed upon me was the idea that it all comes back to the most central relationship is the one we have between us and him. And that really, if you get that one right, everything else in life tends to work out okay. And if that one gets messed up, it can mess up everything else in life. So while the message may talk in particular about marriage, it's really going to be on our relationship with him. So I say that to say that I think that there'll be something for you here that you're going to be able to find hope in and joy in. And even if you say, well, you know, I'm not married or it's just really is it relative to where I'm at in, in, uh, relative to where I'm at in life, I think you'll find that the message itself may go there in a way uh, that might be unexpected. So uh, with that in mind, Romans uh, 15, 13 be the scripture that we'll launch off of here. I use this in the very first week uh, of, of this series. I come back to it again simply because when we're talking about this, I'm trying to show over and over and over again from both the Old and the New Testament over at the, 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 the Bible is packed with scriptures that talk about us having hope. And in fact, I've said this, really, if you're a believer 
and you say, I feel hopeless, there's probably not a greater oxymoron in all of life. And that's not to take away from a person who sits here and actually loves God but feels hopeless. I'm not saying that's not possible. I'm saying what it is. They should never go together because if you love God, you should always have hope. That's the very point of it right there. So you sit here, though, you go, well, I don't feel like I have hope. I do love God, but I don't feel like I have hope. What's happened to me? If, that, if that's an oxymoron, how, how in the world can it be true? Well, you have an enemy who's very good at what he does, and he deceives people. His, his, his ability to bring in deception and to pound you is, is, uh, is remarkable in the fact that he's just good at what he does. And that's why a believer at times can feel Hopeless. But let's go back not to, to that thought. Let's go to this. What does God have to say about us and hope? And I think, uh, as far as the New Testament is concerned, this is probably my favorite scripture when it comes to describing God's thoughts towards us uh, about hope. And uh, if you look at it real quick, may the God of what? So it's not talking about like the God, God is a path to hope. The God of hope. Hope comes from God. So may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow again with what? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me just say it one more time. So why would God give you more than you need? There's only one reason. So you can give away the extra. There's no other reason for God to be that generous with us to give us more. God's not wasteful. So he gives us more than we need. There's only one reason for it so that we can give away the extra that we have. So it's God's will that you overflow with hope. And I wonder, just even I, I, this week, looking around me at the different relationships, I'm, I'm, I, because I'm so into thinking about the message right now, I'm looking at people's lives, and I'm, how many people do I know that are actually overflowing with hope? You know what a rare thing that is to find today? People that are overflowing with it, that have more than they know what to do with. What a wonderful thing. And this is what the scripture, this is what God is, is saying that he wants for us, that we would overflow with hope. All right, with that in mind, at the transition point in your notes, I'm going to talk about hope for marriage. Now, again, I realize it doesn't affect all of us, but it does affect many of us. And as you see, when I teach this, I think you'll find a benefit on the idea of hope between he and I and how it works out in our relationships. Now, just very quickly, when it comes to marriage, there is a statistic that is thrown around in church today. Guarantee that you've heard it. It's actually a bad statistic. So I'm, I'm going to quote to you the bad statistic, but I've got some really good news. Here's the bad statistic that is thrown around today like it's gospel, uh, and it goes something like this, that the divorce rate inside the church is uh, equal to or even greater in some cases than out in the world. You ever heard that one before? How I many you just, just, you've heard it, right? First of all, it's wrong. It's not correct. And, and I would just throw this out. Where, where do we get stats that we begin to teach like they're gospel? You know that 27.2% of all stats are made up on the spot, right? <laughs> oh, sure, you get that one, but you can't get the Broncos. Yeah. I just thought I'd throw that in there. Uh, you know, the, the thought about it is, here's what I think. I think that, um, I think that somebody perhaps that has some, some realm of influence will say something and then so many people who, who, uh, who that person can influence, they pick up what they say, maybe pull it out of context or maybe quote it directly, but it ends up, it spreads like gossip and it becomes like, like, um, like, like gospel in the church. And for a year, I can't even tell you, maybe for the last 15 or 20 years, I've heard people say the divorce rate in the church is equal to or greater than that in the world. And I, so I said, where does that come from? You can't actually find that statistic. What you can find are people who quote that statistic. So I, I studied this, 
And in particular, uh, I found a really interesting book. In fact, I'll just show you. Look at, look at this book right here. Uh, it's written by uh, Brad Wright. Uh, he's a sociologist. Here's the title of his book. Christians are hate-filled hypocrites and other lies you've been told. And it's an excellent book. And I would, I would completely, I don't stand up here and, and just carte blanche, recommend read this or go see that. Here's one, get this book. It's a terrific book. Another stat that he quotes just very quickly, uh, the one that we hear today, that people, as soon as they turn 18, are leaving the church in droves and never coming back. That one, again, you cannot find that statistically as an overarching theme in America. It is happening in mainline denominations. But that's true for all ages in mainline denominations. Do you know that? But in specific, there's, it's, quite, it's quite the opposite in many places. I, I think one of the things that I'm excited about, I went and taught at our high school camp uh, back in the fall. And the response of those high school, it, it was, it was unbelievable. I was so nervous to go talk to them. And then as time has gone by, I ran into one. I was in the mall with, uh, with one of my kids. He was picking out a pair of tennis shoes. And uh, I, I, so I'm in, I'm in finish line is the store at the mall, if you know the mall. And Brent and I are in there. And, and this group of four teenagers walks up quickly to me. And I got into a defensive posture real fast. Like, <laughs> let's go. Uh, it's not the size of the dog, it's the size of the fight in the dog. So, and the, and the, and the, the, this, uh, he was probably 16, 15, something like that. He goes, Pastor John, he runs up, throws his arms around me. He goes, I was at the camp you taught at. Like, that's all good, but gotcha, that's all, we're right. So, so I meet with, with, uh, with the youth pastors this weekend. They said, would you come? And John just, uh, John Brenberg just advertised the junior high camp. He said, would you come back and talk to the junior hires? I said, no, that's a different animal altogether. <laughs> but yes, I would be. He, he goes, they're asking if you will come and talk to them. And I, I just, so I would just say some of the stats we throw around, like there's no interest in these, uh, in, in young people for spirit. It's just, it's not true every place. It's just simply not true. And one of these, these stats that we throw around all the time, the divorce rate being higher in the church or e as equal to as it is outside the church is just simply not true either. Here's what is true, and this is done by independent study. It's done in multiple places over a long period of time, and I'll quote you. I'll read the quote that it's actually, here's the reality. Christians have significantly lower divorce rates than the religiously unaffiliated. Furthermore, the more regular a Christian attends church, the less likely that person is to divorce. That's actual truth right there. Let's begin to quote that one. So what does that tell us? There's a higher probability. It doesn't mean if you go to church, you're divorce-proofed. That's not true. But there's a higher probability that if you're in church, here's what I think it is. I think that you have a commitment to God, so you know what God feels about marriage, number one. And number two, I think this, I think you're in relationships with other people who don't just go, hey, whatever you want to do is okay with us. I think people say, this is important, and if you can't fight right now, we'll fight for you. Amen. I think that makes the difference. I think that's why when you're here, listen, it's the difference between coming and hearing a message and getting into community. We don't want you just to go amen to a message or like what's being taught. We want you in community because your safety will not be found in agreeing with a message. Your safety is going to be in community. That's where it is. It's, it's going to be in that place that holds you and, and keeps you. So when we talk about this today, I want you to understand, uh, we're, we're, maybe you're sitting there, and that stat that the divorce rates is high in the church, it almost makes you discouraged to teach on marriage. Is it really making any difference? 
The truth of the matter is it makes a tremendous difference if you're a believer. Huge. So we teach on this right here. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5. I've taught on it uh, many times over the years. I, I, I call it God's blueprint for marriage. In my mind, it's, it's the most concise teaching that we have on how to be married. But here's the thought with it. Um, when, when Paul teaches this, he's doing it under the, the, the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So he's writing about marriage, but notice the context of it. The context is not simply about marriage. It's actually about our relationship with God. Women to God and men to God. And then, it, so here, here it is. He's teaching a spiritual principle that the only way we can even get our mind around it is to have a physical thing to understand. And the closest thing that actually we have in the world today on what the relationship between us and God is supposed to look like is really the closeness can come from a husband and wife. So he, are you with me? Okay. So he uses this context. So Ephesians 5, 21, 25, um, it begins with this. And so many times when this is taught, this first verse is left out. So it begins this way. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So here, here first and foremost, here's the context. It, it's not women submit to men. Men, make sure you're doing this. It's as believers. Here's your, I think it goes back to the very fact that in church, the divorce rate is lower because of this. If you love God, learn to honor each other. Amen. It's the very first thing. This, and this has nothing to do with marriage. This, this, in context, could stand by itself. If you're going to be friends with someone, learn to honor them in a relationship. Watch what happens. We have a context for that and the fact that we do that with God and God honors us. All right, so submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then it goes into teaching the blueprint. Wives, submit yourself to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband's the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, which is his body, and he is the savior of that. As the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And then it, it, it says this immediately. It doesn't, it doesn't stop here. And I, 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 I say this in every wedding that I do. If that scripture stopped right here with wives submit yourself to your husbands and doesn't come back with husbands, here's what you're supposed to do. It's the most unbalanced scripture ever. It would kill a woman. But it balances it out by this right here. Husbands, love your wives. And then again, it gives context. Just as Christ loved the church. You don't love your wives the way that your dad did. You don't love your wives the way that you read in a book or a magazine or you heard someone else talk about it. or the count. Love your wife like Jesus loves you. Almost there's an understanding that if you don't receive love this way, you can't give love this way. Do you see that? And then for wives, submit yourself to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. It doesn't tell us, submit as you watch on television or submit as you hear people. Submit yourself to this man only, the only man, the way that you do to the Lord. It gives context, doesn't it? Our relationship with God is the complete context for how to be married. Do you see that? Do you agree with that right there? All right, if, if three of us are in, I, I want more agreement on that. Do you agree that the context is as we do with Christ is how we're supposed to do it in marriage. Yes. Okay, and it begins even before marriage with how we're supposed to do it with each other. All right, all right. So let me, if, if you can see that, let me, I'll do these three things real quickly. Um, uh, if, if that scripture, if it was just enough to read the scripture and just go, okay, here's what the Bible says, wouldn't it be great to just say, go in peace and do what Paul says we're done 
tonight, but it doesn't work that way, does it? So let me be practical with you. Let me, uh, let me, let me give you some things here that I think will help in how to do this, and this is where hope and marriage comes from. So uh, the difference between masters and disasters in marriage. You like that? The difference between masters and... Let me give you a definition. This is my definition. A master in marriage is a person who is married and happy. Look at the overwhelming amens that I got <laughs> to hear. It's almost like, don't shout me down here. All right, so a disaster then is not simply a person who would divorce, but it's a person who would... Listen, in church, I think a lot of times, here's the attitude. I'm married, I'm committed, I'll stay committed, but that person is exceptionally unhappy. That, in my mind, is the lose in marriage. It's not, the goal is not to be married for a long time. It's to be married for a long time and to be passionate. Amen. Do you agree with that statement? Yes. All right, now, uh, reality, though, uh, is, is every day Passion. One guy, did you hear his wife? Great answer. Did you, did you guys didn't hear that, did you? The guy goes, yep, and his wife goes, good answer. But for the rest of us. <laughs> it's not always that way. And maybe you're in a season right now where you feel like, gosh, it doesn't feel like that. I'm just committed. There's nothing wrong with being committed. Commitment, that's, that's the backbone of everything. You agree? So commitment's the backbone of everything, but... It's not supposed to be just about commitment. There's supposed to be that passion with it, that love with it, that joy with it, that hope. All right, with that in mind, let me, let me talk about how to avoid the disaster and become more of a master when it comes to your marriage. And the very first thing that I would teach would be this for both men and women, husbands and wives. The next one, I'll give what he needs. And then the third one, I'll give what she needs, but this one, this is what you both have to do, and I wrote it this way, the quality of your spiritual life is very much dependent on your hope in marriage. Look at me real quick. If you're really listening to me, and, and you would all can think past what I'm saying, it should lead you to this next thought. The quality of your spiritual life is dependent on how much hope you have in your marriage. So if you're sitting here and you're really thinking about that, you could draw this conclusion. Well, there are a lot of people who don't believe that have good marriages. You agree with that statement? Yeah. I think that that's true. But I'm up here saying that the quality of your spiritual life is in direct correlation to the hope you have in your marriage. So a person that doesn't have a spiritual life, how in the world, you said they have a good marriage, but here's what I would say to you. The context of love isn't really known until you come into a relationship with Christ. So the Bible says this is how we know what love is. That while we were still sinners, Christ laid down his life. When you come to the realization that Jesus' love is that unconditional love, he, he never goes, I love you when or I love you if, and I love you, do you love me in return? Here's Christ's love for us. While we're on our worst day, at our worst time, at our worst effort, with everything around us crumbling, that's when God loves us the most. And guess what? On your best day, when everything around you is going the right way, he doesn't love you anymore. He loves you exactly the same on that day as he did on your worst day. And when you finally come into the actual understanding of this type of love, not physical love, not natural love, not the love just simply between a man and a woman, which people in this world absolutely can enjoy. 
I'm not saying that's not possible. What I'm saying is there's a higher love that goes beyond the physical love that two people in love can experience. And that love is only known when you're in a spiritual relationship with God because the Bible gives us this context. Wives, submit yourself or honor your husband like you're experiencing with the Lord. Husbands, love your wives like you're experiencing with the Lord. It's a different love than this world offers. And when you come into that kind of contact with God where you grow in this love, you have, listen, a context and a point of reference that everyone in this world does not all have. It's different. I'll throw it to you this way. Chris and I, young marrieds, so we just passed our 31st anniversary. I would consider that to be somewhere in the, I, I don't, the beginning of the two-thirds of life. Help me out here. <laughs> Some are like, no, it's like the upper 10% of the last half. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm just trying, middle, middle of the road somewhere. Is that a fair, fair statement? Okay, not young married, but I don't think we're, we're old married. I think we're somewhere in the middle of the road. But early on in our marriage, say year two or year three, my spiritual life was not there. I had a wife who had a pretty good spiritual life, but I didn't have one. And even though I was committed and I was trying, God, we found ourselves at odds constantly. And the one thing that we had was we were committed to each other. But here's the problem with that. When all you have every day is just simply commitment, the fun runs out quickly. Yeah. And God didn't intend it to be just simply commitment. He put it where you could experience the love and the joy that comes from that relationship. As we were early on in our marriage, we were struggling mightily. We had a friend who recommended, the ministry's not even around anymore, but it was here in Denver, and it was called Nova Shalom, for anybody that's, that's been around church for any length of time. It was a marriage ministry, and you committed to a six-month internship, basically. You went weekly for six months, and it worked on all these different thoughts and concepts with how to be married, but the main thing it worked on was your spiritual life. And as I got my spiritual life in order, Something happened between the two of us that was remarkable. Ministry opened for us when I got my spiritual life in order. Joy happened for us when I got my spiritual life in order. Our children, we watched early on in marriage. Gosh, we were, were two children in and it's not going well. And as my life began to explode spiritually... Things began to happen between, it was not things either that we didn't have to go practice those things. Here's what I learned. When you get it right this way, it works out this way. But when you try to work it out this way, thinking then I'll go this way, it backfires every time. Does that make sense? This is always the way you've got to go. It's in the relationship with God first and foremost that everything happens that makes it easier this way. And when people are struggling in marriage, here's, here's what I'm saying. I sat down and I'm writing down all the new things I've learned in the past year about marriage. And they're all different principles and different ideas. And many people in this room that are struggling would go, okay, let's go home and try this now. Here's, here's the problem. If you try it without the connection to God, it's just more stuff you're trying. And it doesn't lead to joy and to hope. It's just more stuff. And actually, to be more stuff that you'll point to that will tell you, you know what, I just didn't marry the right person. We tried all these different things. 
Everything the pastor said, every book we've read, we try, 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 try. It's not what it's about. You get it going this way, and you'd be unbelievably surprised how easy it begins to work out this way. What's the difference? Do you get smarter when you go this way? Your heart gets softer. And when your heart's softer, all of a sudden you can love in ways you never realized. When you're experiencing God's love or you're experiencing God's honoring him, it gives you a context and a reference where you can do it with other people. Let's take it outside of marriage real quickly. Friendships that we have. When you're right this way, it makes friendships work out this way. But when this is messed up, it's harder to have it this way. Does that make any sense? All right, let me, let me, let me do this then. If, if that, that's sort of like the, the, the foundation that I would, I would build on. The quality of your spiritual life for both people has to be there in order to make this work. But let me just do this. Let me, let me, let me move on. Taking the scripture, let me, let me move up to his need. This is what, lady, if you're married, I would say the number one thing that you could do in context of your relationship with God, don't go home and just try to practice this, do it in a relationship with God, his need for your respect. His need for your respect. Okay, here is, th- this comes from, this is not, uh, I, I've joked with this before, uh, I, Oprah is smarter than I am. She has a great big audience. She, I saw, uh, I was looking at something on the internet last night at her jet. She has an, an incredible jet. I have no jet. <laughs> Okay, so in many ways, I'm very unqualified to say what I'm going to say. But I, I will say this. While I'm not as smart as Oprah, while I do not have as big an audience as Oprah, uh, when Oprah talks about marriage, there's one glaring missing issue between her and I. Do you know what it is? She's not married. Do you think that that makes a difference when you're talking about? So how many of you have kids? You ever had a friend without a kid give you advice on raising a kid? What do you want to do? After choking them, you'd like to give them your kid for a little while. Go, hey, you know, you're so smart. Work this out. Take them home for a week and bring them back and let me know how it goes for you. Tell me. So there's just something about doing it that has greater authority over the person who just simply tells you what to do and they've never done it. You you agree with that? All right, so here's where this comes from then. In a relationship that I would not say is a perfect relationship, but I do believe we have a great relationship. And I do believe as pastors, we can stand up and not feel embarrassed about our relationship as we lead this church. It's an important issue. It's the real deal. So where this comes from is in my own relationship, learning this with my wife. Here's what a man needs. Men, when, when you tell your husband you love him, while the words I love you are crucial and important, and yes, he needs to hear them, Many times just saying I love you to a man is not the best way to communicate love to them. And I, 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 my, one of my favorite books is The Five Love Languages. Gary Smalley teaches an awesome principle that all of us in one way or the other speak one of five languages. And the deal is you never marry a person who speaks your language. So learning their language becomes the key to being a blessing to your spouse. Mine is gift giving. Chris is acts of service. When I want to tell her I love her, I go buy her something. While she appreciates it, the way that she really receives love is when I unload the dishwasher. So I'll go and buy her something and give it to her like, open it up. 
She'll open, oh, thanks. And I'm like, what do you mean, thanks? You should faint. You should weep and cry and jump up and down. She goes, well, if you really love me, do the dishwasher. And I'm like, let me go buy you a dishwasher. That would make me happy. But if I'm trying to tell her I love her, it's not about what makes me happy, right? All right, so same thing on the opposite page. She will do things to serve me all day long. Write little notes for me. Cook, all, cook my favorite meals. And while I appreciate it, it doesn't do as much as if she'll go out and just buy me any little trinket. It doesn't have to be any, it could be a shirt. It could be a pen. It could be, it doesn't matter. It's the, she gave me something to unwrap. And it touches something deep in my soul, man. Deep. And I feel great affection for her when she does that. All right. The principle, the principle then, overall with men would be this way. While the words I love you are important, the number one way a man feels love, feels, is through your honoring of your husband. Now, it's true for all of mankind. The number one way men feel loved and appreciated is through honor. Honor is one of those things when you do it well, it builds a person up, and if you do it wrong, it could tear them. In fact, wars are fought over, if you go back to the very issue, it's over dishonor. Honor's huge. So the Bible then instructs a woman, and it begins with wives, by the way. That's why I started there. So wives, submit yourselves to your own husband. The word submit there is to honor or to prefer or to place in a first position. In other words, put the emphasis here to allow this person into this awesome position. It's to honor. So that a man feels love when he's honored. So often what a woman will say, have you ever heard this one? I will give him honor when he acts honorably. Now, there's truth to that. I get it. There's truth to that. It's not to say that regardless of what a person does, you're supposed to show them. That's not what I'm saying. But here, let me, let me flip the tables on you to show you the moral equivalent. If a man were to tell his wife, I will love you when you act lovable, what would his wife tell him? <laughs> Don't bother. So if you say to the husband, I'll honor you when you act honorable, it's the exact same issue. It's the way he receives love. It's just the way that God set it up. Let me just give you the one for her. Again, in the context of marriage, but it's true that in the overarching way God designed a woman's heart, she has a need for your warmth. For your kindness. For your heart. Women need the emotional heart-to-heart -heart connection and it's not a sexist statement. It's not an out-of-date statement. It just simply is God designed men in a particular way, women in a particular way. And while there are variances to that, different likes and dislikes, there are also steady sociological issues. Women need the emotional connection. 
While men need the honor, women need the emotional connection. 1 Peter 3, 7 tells husbands, be considerate as you live with your wives. The very word considerate there means to consider your wife what her needs are and be willing to give her what she needs. Women need that connection. Now my thought to you though is we can have fun with this. You can teach all of the, the, the mess ups that men do trying to make that thing happen. My most famous one is we've got dual sinks in our bathroom with a great big mirror. And one day I'm sitting washing my hands, looking into the mirror, and Chris thinks I'm looking at her, and I'm not. And she stops in the middle of it, she goes, what is it? And I, it like jars me, I'm like, what's what? She goes, my hair, my makeup, my outfit, what is it? And I'm like, what are you talking, what, what? She goes, what are you staring at? And I did not have the courage to tell her, this water is warm and it feels really good on my hands. And I'm not thinking about anything right now except how nice it is to have warm water. So I tell her, yeah, there's something wrong with your hair. You need to fix that right there. And she goes to work on it. It's funny. I thought it was funny. <laughs> so you can laugh about that when you teach on marriage. You can teach all the little funny things that men do and women do. But the truth of the matter is, I'm giving you two issues. Men need to be honored. Women need the warmth. And so men go home and try to give it, and women go home and try to give it, and therein lies the whole problem with trying to do stuff. Yes or no? Intentions are not enough to make it work. They're not enough to be a parent. It's not enough to be married. It's not enough to do anything. Good intentions are not the issue. It's whether or not you can actually pull it off. How do you pull this off? Go home and try harder. Hear a message like this and feel bad? Repent? What do you do? I would say to you, the issue is as simple as this. The spiritual life is where everything's at. If you wanted one thing that you should do that would give you great hope for not only your marriage, but just for your life and your relationships in general, if you went crazy for God this way, you'd find a parallel physically that would happen in your life that you wouldn't even have to try to work on. It would be the natural context that everything came out of your life from. And without this, you're trying to draw it from a context that you just simply don't have inside of you. That makes sense. Now, the one thing I would tell every, you want to be a great husband? Passionately love Jesus. Want to be a great wife? Fall passionately in love with Jesus. And watch how it works out this way. Want to be a great parent? Love Jesus with everything that's inside of you and you'll find a reference place that when your kid is a kid, you'll be able to love them in a way you didn't even know. It. You won't even have to think about it. It'll come out of you because what we experience is what we can give and you can't give what you don't have. Do you agree with that statement? This is always the issue. If you sit here tonight like, no, no, no. Give me five things to go home and do. It'll just be five more things that'll mess you up. Honestly, principles are wonderful, but that's, God never, like just go live, the primary thing between us and God is relationship. It's always relationship. If I were to say anything, so February's coming three weeks from now, and one of the things we did as a staff was to talk about what we want to see happen in the next six months 
Most churches in January call for a fast and make their spiritual emphasis in January, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I kind of looked at it like most people make all of their commitments in January, and what happens by February? So we decided we're going to make our spiritual emphasis starting in February. Get everybody through January, clear out the gym, and then we'll get serious about it. <laughs> So we're going to call for a fast in February. We're going to begin it with prayer and end it with worship later on that week and ask people to really consider their spiritual lives and what does God want you to do and to be hungry for him spiritually. Wouldn't it be great to be more passionate for Christ in 90 days or 120 days or six months? Wouldn't it be great to be all out for him this summer? How are we going to get there? See, you hear this, like, yeah, I do want to love God. How am I going to get there? get serious about it. Let's make it our priority. This honestly, you could sit here and be in the best place in your life with your marriage and I would still say to you that if you fall even more passionately in love with Jesus, it can be greater than it is right now. And if you're struggling in your marriage, you feel hopeless, then I would tell you the number one thing that you should do is that you should come to God and you should dig deep this way and you'll have a resource to go this way. God will give you hope in your situation. And I would tell you that in my mind, you maybe go, well, pastor, you're a pastor. You're supposed to say, this is not, pastor has nothing to, this is real life. This is where I live at. I know this is the answer for how we're to live life. And when this goes wrong for me, it messes up all things this way. Father, I recognize that this is a message that will catch people at different places in life. Some, Lord, marriage is not the issue. But very much the relationship with you always is. So, Father, I lift that up to you right now. And I pray for folks who are struggling. Just overall in relationships. God, I ask that you would you would open their mind, open their heart to what you're calling them into. God, I pray for relationships that are in here, and specifically marriages. Lord, if there are those in here struggling or those in here that are in the best place they've ever been in their life, God, I still think that you call to us to go deeper with you. God, that's what I would ask for for really just a spiritual renaissance, a spiritual revival, a spiritual outpouring that would draw your people deeper with you. Father, all of us want more of you. We need more of you, God, and I ask in your name that you would draw us into that relationship. Father, I thank you for hearing us right now. I thank you, God, for the hope that you bring. I ask, God, that you would plant that seed inside all of our hearts draw us deeper into you. And I pray that now in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.